Hello everyone, welcome back to another weekly live stream with yours truly, Dr. Sarah Webb. This week's topic is all about a tinted glass ceiling. So many people have heard of the concept of a glass ceiling and how it has hindered certain people from progressing upwards in their careers. But since I focus on colorism, I want to talk about the fact that that glass ceiling disproportionately impacts people of certain skin tones, certain shades. And I want you to imagine that you survive colorism in your educational experience. You graduate, get your certifications, and you survive colorism in the job search, in the hiring process, and you get your first job. And then you even navigate colorism in negotiating for higher pay. So you made it, you're in the door, you know, colorism couldn't hold you back, you got your ideal job. And then you realize that once you're in the door, that colorism just continues. <laughs> that it doesn't stop at the door. That colorism, you understand, is going to be a constant an ongoing issue in your professional journey going forward as well. And so this is part of a series I've been doing on corporate colorism, where I look at all the ways that colorism impacts outcomes, professional outcomes, income, wealth gaps, all the things related to work and business and employment. And in the past, I've talked about colorism in education, colorism in hiring, colorism in pay. And this week I wanna talk about how colorism, even if you get the job, even if you overcome the, or you manage to survive the discrimination in the hiring process, and you get a decent amount of pay, that your colorism is still gonna impact your ability to thrive and to flourish in your career. Now, I mentioned in weeks prior that that doesn't mean dark-skinned people can't have great careers. There was this rapper who came out recently and said, I, I want people to stop using my name and colorism because I'm living my dream, traveling the world as a rapper. And so a lot of, sometimes dark-skinned people resist the notion that, you know, colorism is impacting them or impacting their choices or their um, opportunities. But the reality is as much as you flourish as a dark-skinned woman, there are hurdles and obstacles and things you had to consider and endure that your lighter skin counterparts simply did not, right? That's what we mean when we talk about colorism and its impact. It's not that you can't have a great career, you just might have to work harder than someone else. Um, and so I will leave time at the end for questions. This will probably be um, a pretty straightforward live because it's based on all the things I've been saying for the past 14 weeks. If you are new to this series, be sure to catch up. There's a lot of great context that I've been doing since February. So be sure to, after you watch this, go back and catch up with anything you might have missed. But feel free to introduce yourself in the chat, say hello, um, pose questions and comments as well. So when we think about advancement in your career, you get the job, but you want to get a promotion. You want to go for the supervisor position, or you want to become director someday. Maybe you want to um, become an executive at some point in your career. And all of the negative colorist stereotypes about intelligence, about your competence, your fit for the culture, um, your professionalism, that impacted the hiring process, they're going to continue to impact 
judgments and evaluations of your professional performance, right? So it's not just, oh, interviewers perceived light-skinned African-Americans and Latinos as more intelligent in the hiring interview process, but that bias continues even after they hire people. So even once people are on the job, they still have biases and stereotypes about the fact that the lighter-skinned employees are more intelligent, that they're doing their jobs better, right? And that darker-skinned people are somehow underperforming, are problematic, are too um, abrasive, right? And so all these stereotypes and biases I've been talking about for the past um, few months, people are still having these biases even once you get the job. And so that's why we see, you know, how often have you looked at the organizational chart and you notice that the more senior the level in the organizational chart, the, the wider and the lighter it becomes. Okay, we hear this, we observe this time and time again, how the more senior positions are disproportionately, when I say disproportionately, I mean if it were just by chance or just by luck, you would see a lot more diversity than what you have, right? And so they're disproportionately filled with lighter skinned individuals, including lighter skinned BIPOC folks, right? And the entry level positions, frontline positions, the more pedestrian types of jobs are disproportionately and overrepresented with darker skinned employees. And I, one of the studies I talked about the in Latin America in previous weeks specifically, how there are multiple research studies that show not only is it a disparity in hiring, but it's the kind of jobs that you get hired for, right? And so in a lot of Latin American countries, the jobs with more social prestige and with higher incomes, light-skinned people are overrepresented in those jobs, right? And what we have to do is realize that there are a lot of discussions happening around gender and race that are not taking into account how skin tone impacts both of those variables, right? And all, all variables, it impacts things around ability and mental health, physical health. It impacts things like immigration status, all the things. Every issue that we talk about in the DEI space is impacted by the intersection of skin tone, okay? And so if we are trying to shatter the glass ceiling around gender, for example, but not acknowledging the role that race and skin tone and hair texture and all these other factors are playing into that, then we just recreate the system that we claim to want to dismantle. And so one of the most common forms of discrimination that darker skinned women in particular face as they're trying to advance through their careers is people trying to sabotage them, right? So even if you do get promoted to director of something or to um, manager or supervisor or something, a lot of people are reporting that their colleagues and even clients that they work with or customers that they work with, like there's just a general lack of, lack of respect for, their, for them in those positions. And there's this... Um, people will file reports saying, oh, well, so-and-so is just too hard to work with, right? Some of the case studies include things. Well, a big one is insubordination, for example. So I hear this one a lot, and I see this one a lot, where there's a dark-skinned person who's like in a, a leadership position, and the people, because they have some type of 
bias or feeling toward them. They, they go around them or they go over them or they go under them, but they do everything they can to avoid going to the person they're, they're assigned to or the person that they're meant to report to, right? And so there's this um, understated gossip even, like gossip happens in workplaces, we know this, and a general attitude or assumption that, oh, I, I can't work with this person or this person doesn't know what they're doing or they're, you know, um, incompetent or we don't like the direction that so-and-so is taking, the, the company, et cetera, right? And I've dealt with this as a professor, as an academic, even when I was teaching high school, and how students, as well as professional colleagues, um, they took issue, right? And there's this assumption that you don't know what you're talking about. There's this assumption that you're not good at your job. You know, how did, how did you get this position? <laughs> or if you do get promoted, if you do advance to a leadership role, there's also that attitude, right? Like, well, how did you get this? Are, are you filling a quota, right? All these things. And I know some people are probably gonna be listening and say, oh, but that happens to all black people. And light-skinned people experience that too, right? And so, again, this is why you have to watch all of my content because it is vast. <laughs> and I never assume that I'm going to be able to say all of the nuance, all of the things, all of the research in one live stream. So I'm putting that back on you. If you have doubts, if you're listening with skepticism, it's your responsibility to go further beyond this 25-minute live stream, okay? Um, but even though lighter-skinned employees and lighter-skinned colleagues are experiencing racism, again, the, the studies I've already been quoting for the past several weeks, weeks are showing us that they still have advantages compared to their darker-skinned colleagues compared to their darker skinned counterparts and peers, right? And so the degree of impact or the degrees of discrimination, the discrete degrees of um, marginalization within the workplace, within a professional career trajectory are significantly greater the darker your skin tone, okay? Um, and then this other thing that I wanna say before I, I go to questions this one, I, I, I love talking about this one, okay? But a lot of times we talk about how, oh, biases like racism and sexism and colorism, they negatively impact performance evaluations or they negatively impact ratings for dark-skinned people or for dark-skinned women, dark-skinned black women, right? However, what I've been trying to like get people to also acknowledge is that these biases are also inflating the ratings and the reviews for light-skinned people and for white people and for non-black people, right? So there's this cognitive dissonance that people from a more privileged group have where they assume that their performance reviews are neutral. And they assume that as a white person or as a man or as a light-skinned person that the way they're being reviewed, the way they bring, are being evaluated, their ratings are somehow accurate, right? They really think, oh, our ratings are accurate. And because racism and colorism and sexism are only negatively impacting dark-skinned black women, right? It's only deflating your results. No, it's actually both of our ratings are inaccurate. So my ratings are inaccurate because of a negative bias, 
but your ratings are also inaccurate because of a positive bias, right? So bias is simultaneously working in both directions. It is suppressing for the marginalized groups, but it is inflating and overvaluing the results and the performances of lighter skinned people or, or again, white people or whoever the, the dominant group is. Um, and that's that part of what white supremacy does and part of what patriarchy does and colorism does, for example, is it makes people, it gives people the audacity, audacity to assume that they are the standard. It gives them the audacity to assume that they hold a neutral, unbiased, objective position. And so I think we can maybe move the needle a little, a little farther and a little more quickly if we acknowledge that, it's, that that bias is simultaneously deflating, but it's also simultaneously bolstering, artificially bolstering performance evaluations and reviews. And I'm thinking specifically, again, going back to my days as a formal educator, um, student evaluations, you know, and how that was a big thing when I first got hired for my tenure track job. They were like, oh yeah, we know that, you know, for, you know, minority teachers, their student ratings are just lower than average. And I'm like, yeah, and yours are higher than they should be. Because <laughs> I guarantee you, well, let me not, let me, <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, so um, your homework before I get into questions, look at concrete ways to support dark-skinned women in leadership. And I, have, I had a, a, a member of my uh, support group for dark-skinned women was saying how she has, there's a supervisor or a director at the place where she works, and she's experiencing a lot of this, you know, from other black women on the job, this sort of icing her out, giving her the cold shoulder, um, not being cliquish and not wanting to work with her. And so she, she says what she does is she goes out of her way to make her feel included, right? She goes out of her way, like if she's going to get coffee, like I'm going to invite her to come with me, right? And so finding ways to like just take the be a hedge almost to stand in the gap to stand in the gap for that dark-skinned woman who's in a leadership position and you you can see it clearly from your vantage point like oh if she were a man people wouldn't be tripping so hard or if she were white or if she were light-skinned people wouldn't be have such a hard time reporting to her and i will also say too if you are um, a colleague of a, of a dark-skinned woman or if you are a supervisor or a senior level employee of a dark-skinned woman and people try to skip over her, right? So you know what I'm talking about, Insub insubordination, right? Like not wanting to follow the chain of command all of a sudden because there's a dark-skinned black woman involved and y'all don't want to answer to her and y'all don't want to have to get approval from her, right? So you go to the light-skinned man or you go to the the white woman right you go all again you go on every which way possible not to have to report and work with and have this dark-skinned black woman have the final say on something right it's it's so insidious and it can be so subtle to people who haven't thought about this a lot but for those of us who think about it every day it's really obvious <laughs> okay so find ways to stand in the gap if you are if you are ever in a position to do so for with and for a dark-skinned black woman who's in leadership. And then your affirmation is, I am not threatened by anyone else's success. My path is uniquely mine and I celebrate it. Okay, so let me repeat that. I am not threatened by anyone else's success. My path 
is uniquely mine and I celebrate it, okay? Oh good, look, look at me, 15 minutes. And now we can go to questions. <laughs> All right, let's see what y'all are talking about. What's up, Instagram? Oh, hey, Keisha, good to see you on here, my friends. Um, Nubia LaFlo says, yep, two degrees, military experience with multiple other experiences and still not enough, right? That's, that's the, what I empathize with there is in my live on hiring, I talked about how interviewers placed more importance on skin tone than on levels of education and work experience. So even when a dark-skinned person had more work experience, had more education, they were still less likely to be seen as a good applicant, right? Mm. And, ooh, I like all the hearts. Lots of hearts today. Morning, beautiful, and I love the earrings. Thank you, Cheryl. <laughs> Thank you. Every time I see names that I'm aware of, of people that I know, um, I'm like, ooh, I want to go to LA now. <laughs> like every time I see y'all's name, I'm like, I want to go to your city and like say hey and eat, drink coffee. I'm about to say eat coffee, but drink coffee. Um, all right, cool. So I don't see any questions. I thought I saw more questions than that on LinkedIn. I mean, on Instagram. But let's see what LinkedIn is talking about. Very active chat on LinkedIn as always. Hey, Aya. Hey, Michael. Hey, Fatia. My peeps. My in my inner circle. <laughs> my inner circle of LinkedIn. Hi, Sybil Carter, love. Um, let's see if we have questions here on LinkedIn. So Regina Smith on YouTube is saying, girl, I have been profiled by people in the dentist industry. Here being in North Carolina, I have to call black dentists to go that route and ask if they are hiring rather than apply for open jobs on Indeed. Right, and so that's extra work, right? We talk about the, when we talk about hurdles and obstacles, and I, as I mentioned, it's not that you won't get a job, Regina, but what your, what your testimony is saying is that you're having to put in effort that a non-black person or a light-skinned person or a man, like whoever the other group is, they don't have to do that. They don't have to put in the extra effort, right? And so that takes a psychological toll. It takes time, and we know that time is money, right? And so it's just a lot more that we have to overcome in order to mitigate the biases and the discrimination that we face. All right. Hello, Mega Just Me 09. Hey, y'all. Hello from London, UK, African diaspora in London, UK. I like that screen name. I want to go to London someday, too. Um, oh, wow. So Regina Smith says, I can tell you an experience. I had a white office dentist make me take an add and subtraction test like I was in grade school again. Also, definition test. You know what they told me. Uh, we make anyone take this test on the job work interview. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I believe you. I believe you, Regina. And I'm sorry that they did that, right? They're, they're missing out for sure. Um, oh, hey, Lucid Los. What are we discussing today? We're discussing how... You know, the past several weeks I've talked about discrimination in hiring, discrimination in education, discrimination in pay. Today I was talking about how even when you get through all of those hurdles and obstacles, the colorism continues throughout 
the workforce throughout your career journey, it doesn't just stop at discriminatory hiring. But even when you get the job, people are still judging you and evaluating you. We talked about performance ratings and how a lot of times we know that, okay, bias is making the ratings for dark-skinned black women, for example, lower. But what I was saying is not enough people acknowledge that the ratings for light-skinned people and the ratings for men and the ratings for white people and other groups are artificially higher than they would otherwise be, right? So if people didn't have a negative bias towards me, my ratings would be higher. But if people didn't have a positive bias towards you, your ratings probably wouldn't be as high. <laughs> That's hard for people to accept because they want so badly to think that everything about the way their lives have has played out is accurate, right? And that kind of goes back to what I was saying too about a meritocracy. Um, people from privileged groups or from dominant groups love that notion because they, they like to see it as like, oh no, well I earned these performance evaluations. I earned these you know student ratings. And I'm like, I'm not saying you didn't earn some of it, but there is a degree of it that was also inflated and bolstered by pro-light biases, okay? All right. Um, Aw, thank you, Sybil Carter-Love, for the love um, on LinkedIn, saying your content is so deep and I have been reading and following you for weeks. Yes. Um, all right. So I don't see any questions. Let's see. Yeah, so Super Carter Love says, I, uh, I agreed. I have experienced a lot of what she mentioned at every level in each role, especially in performance reviews. And it's interesting, Sybil Carter Love, because in performance reviews, a lot of, and this was in the EEOC case I mentioned too, when they didn't want to put the um, acting executive director and make her the executive director. The EOC was like, their reasoning, the rationale, the rhetoric, the language about why is so incoherent and it doesn't really have valid sense, right? And so performance reviews will have vague, vague complaints, like not anything substantial. It's like, oh, something just doesn't feel right or she's just hard to work with, right? And not really defining what that is. Um, so we see that a lot in performance reviews as well. Regina, get it out. Say what you got to say. I understand. Um, all right. So not a lot of questions today, but lots of comments, lots of people sharing their experiences and their own personal testimonies. So we'll wrap up. I have one more comment coming in from Lucid Lose that says, nowadays, it's all about how many followers you have. Unfortunately, we have to combat algorithm biases and how Light-skinned and mixed women in particular are generally supported on social media more than dark-skinned women. Um, hey, Miss Kim Tyson, KM Tyson. Hey, Sarah, proud of what you have become since the old, the old good LSU days. I am back in Germany now. Love from Bettina. Hey, Bettina, it's been so long. Yay. It's so funny that you're back in Germany. I'm gonna have to show you, uh, send you the podcast I was on recently. It's a Germany-based podcast um, by Carol, and it's called Red Lection. And actually, I got an email from someone who's hosting a conference in Germany next year. So I might be in those Germany streets in the near future, okay? We'll have to link up. Um, 
But to your point, Lucid Los, I, I was telling a, a friend of mine about how um, when I post like pictures of myself, I know that I'm not going to get as many likes or follows as if I were posting pictures of Beyonce or Rihanna or whoever the new light-skinned person is, <laughs> whoever the new like celebrity rapper is that everyone's talking about. But for my page, I'm like, I... I, I want to be the representation that I needed, right? And it's also a rhetorical um, tool. It's a rhetorical tool to say like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good with my own face. I don't have to like populate my Instagram feed with other faces or with light-skinned faces for attention. And I think that has brought in a community of people who actually care about the issue and aren't like, oh, you know, Dr. Webb looks like this. So yes, I'm gonna like her posts and follow her content. But most, I think 99.9% of the people who follow me are following me because of like the content and not because of pictures that caught their attention or something like that. Um, but yeah, I will see y'all next week. Next week I am talking about microaggressions. I know I rarely, remember what I'm talking about from week to week, but I remember this week. I know that this week is all about microaggressions. Yeah, oh, thank you, Jessica. Um, and I will see y'all in these Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube streets between now and Monday, leaving comments, leaving hearts, because I follow some really cool people. Let me just say, I love that y'all watch my lives. I love that y'all follow me, but I also am fans of you, okay? Like when I, when I comment and like y'all's posts, like I really be liking them. I be like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> oh, and shout out to everyone who um, came to the workshop that I did on Saturday. I was saying how it was so cool to see some like Instagram profiles come to life. Like some people that I have been following on Instagram to be able to see them live on Zoom and interact with them. That was a lot of fun. Um, and like I mentioned, traveling more and seeing some of y'all in person. I'm, I just, I just like y'all. <laughs> I love it. And that's why it's so hard for me to end the live because I just want to keep gushing. But I'm going to close my mouth now and let it go. <laughs> love y'all. Take care. Have a great rest of your week. Bye. Mwah.